Let's go back to Shaftim Perik Aleph Pasuk Tezayin. Last week we were discussing the conquest of an area right around Hebron and the discussion between Kalev and his daughter. His son-in-law, Asniel ben Kanaz, did not partake of the discussion. One shot in the Gemara was that Kalev told his daughter that there's no reason to be concerned. Your son is such a god of a Kaddish, everything will be fine, and you don't even need any other fields. She had requested it, L'Shem Shemayim. She's helping him to run the yeshiva and the household. And the debate we had last week, which ends up being a very individual decision based on a function of the logistics, the Gashmias, the Ruchnias, and the Madrega, and a very important topic, and the Maskana and Pasik Tezvav, which we saw, we we'll go back to Tezvav for a moment, Let's read it over, the Tu Mahalchem V'taymer L'Havali Bracha K'Eretz HaNegev Nisa Tanani V'Nasatali Gulas Ma'evitim Al-Kalev Gulas Ilis Gulas Tachtis So one shot in the Gemara is that he didn't give her anything tangible afterwards because it wasn't necessary, not because he wasn't interested in helping. He had the money and he was interested in using every penny for Habatz's Torah. The question is where? That's always the question. And what was necessary? And if you look at Rashi in Tezvav, her request based on the circumstance, Eretz HaNegev, Adam Shabesa Menugov Mikol Tuv She'ein Boy Elotera, with no other interest and no Hesachadas. And Rashi here for the Pashup Shot, Gulas Mayim, Steabal, Asa Beis Shkaya something with water, natural irrigation. It was a dry area. And the question is, what was the answer? That was a request. The answer either was yes or don't worry about it, not necessary. The Pusik goes on to talk about the conquest of the various cities. The most important one, which we're going to discuss today, is Yushalayim. And for that background, the Pusik reminds us of who the Talmidim of Asniel ben Kanaz were. You might wonder what the connection is. You'll see right away in Rashi. Pasuk Tezayin. B'nei Keni, Chais, and Mesha, the descendants of Yisroi, who were living in Yerichai or somewhere very close to Yerichai. He calls it Ir Tamarim. As we mentioned, the debate over here is Yerichai was a city that was put in Cherm. As they put in Cherm, not the people. The people were from the Zion Amin. They're gone. And Yeshua Benun made it quite clear that you cannot rebuild this city. So, one Mahalach is they were living in the city, but they didn't rebuild it. The B'nai Kani were nomadic in nature, and therefore they just pitched a couple of tents. That's not in violation of rebuilding the city or living there, because you weren't really living there. They sort of moved around. The issue with that is that Rashi tells us the reason they were there is because they were put there by request of Klaisal to be the Shemrim, so to speak, of this area, because we needed to trade it with whoever gets the Harabayas, and when that is figured out in a few hundred years from now, they will get to this area, and then we're going to put you somewhere else, we'll get you a nice area, but I can't even promise to be taken care of by Moshe Ben himself, to Yisra, remember, trying to get Yisra to join them and stay with them, he says, don't worry, come to Israel, whatever we have, you'll have. That promise was kept, even though he went home, and he clearly succeeded in the Kirov and sent his descendants back because here they reached the greatest heights of Klai Israel 
They become the Talmidim of Asnil ben Kanaz, then they become members of Sanhedrin later on. So they're being asked, they're so trustworthy, they're being asked to hold that area because we need it uh, to trade, and we will get back to that very soon. Take a look at Rashi Meira Tamarim. We just uh, shifted the Kasha, by the way, because if you can't live there, what good is it to give it to B'nai Binyamin or Yehudu, whoever's going to get it later, if you still can't live there? So apparently, either we have the wrong place, meaning it's not exactly Yerichai, it's a suburb, and it's called Ir Tamarim because it's not exactly Yerichai, even though Rashi says he Yerichai, means the general area, or it means that you can't build a city, and they didn't build a city, they're not going to build it now, they're not going to build it later. And you have palm trees, so you can have Hanaf from the palm trees. And it was an area that was fertile, and you'd get benefit from it. And that's not going to be a problem now because they're not building it. It's not going to be a problem later because, let's say, Shevet Binyamin will own it, and they'll own it for whatever profit uh, that will give them. So there are a number of options over here. Uh, let's, uh, again, read the Pesach first, then we'll see the Rashi. B'nei Ken Yechei Sameisha Olomir Tamarim Es B'nei Yehuda Midbar Yehuda Shebenei Arad. They went out to the Bundaks to learn and uh, they had the benefit of becoming the Talmidim of Hakim of Asnil Bankanaz, who we just spoke about. The Yes. He had seven daughters. He went back to Yehuda. Yes. Yes. It's not. It's not clear even. Right, but he has a big family, the whole clan. Right, right. So yes, that, that's correct. He was trying to Megai everybody. Whether everybody became Jewish is a bit unclear, even though the ones there misupic about whether they were Yidin were living in it to Shaul. And that's the famous Bnei Kani who were told by Shaul to get out of the way for their own safety because we're about to fight a war against Amalek. And Yol Eshes Chavra Kani, according to most Mepharshim, was very Jewish, like from the Tzedkaniyas of the Dar. But that's not without a bit of a machlek as who exactly they were and why... They should be at peace with anybody in a later battle against Sisera. And, like, who were they? So we keep bumping into them. Right, we keep bumping into them that get out of the way, and now we have a war with Sisera, and you're helping out, but you're at peace with them, and you're at peace with us. But most of at the end of the day, hold that they were uh, very much part of Israel, and Yisrael succeeded. So either way, it succeeded. Either they were Magyar, or they were Makabal Zaymitzvus, and moved to Israel. But they were, they were part of it. So either way, it was good news. Rashi, be'ir tamarim. So either that's synonymous with Yerichon. Rashi says he Yerichon. Or even Rashi means Yerichon, the general area, doesn't have to mean the city where the walls came down, where Yeshua ben Nun made it quite clear nobody can be either living there or building it up. Shanitan lahem dushna shal Yerichon. It's the lush and very fertile area. La'achla meaning to get the benefit from the fruits. Ad shiyabana beis hamikdash. What does that have to do with the beis hamikdash? Mi shiyivna beis habachir bechelka yitlena. Gidei shiyelucha yisrael chelik beis habachir. We want to give everybody a chelik of the makam beis hamikdash. Listen carefully as we gather the details, but this is very, very nageya lach al-maisa, lasilava mitzvashem, and nageya now, whoever owns a piece of property in the old city or even the newer city. We're not exactly sure where the old city really ends. The walls today are a pretty recent innovation. <coughs> it was built and rebuilt and moved over various conquerors and emperors. So um, we'll try to put together what the story is. It's a long time. 
because long time, Besamikdish will be built after the period of the Shaftim, is about 350 years. And then we have to have Davramalch and then Shlomo. So now they had this great place to live, great place to pitch your tent, very fertile, uh, great fruit. Uh, the weather, um, uh, how do you put this delicately, is uh, I guess you had to be there. Today you go to Yerichoy, put on sunglasses and uh, some lotion, and most Americans go in an air-conditioned bus. It's very hot there. It just goes to show you how finicky we are. Or the climate changed slightly, I'm not sure, but this is considered a choice place to live. So that's not a taina, that's a, more of a taina on us. We consider it very hot, although they have, um, they have Yidin living close to there. Mitzvah Yericho is called Mitzvah Yericho because it's overlooking the area. So how hot can it be? But Yericho itself, which is, I remember, it was very hot. Maybe I was just there on a warm day. It's not really accessible today. The actual place of Yericho, it's accessible. It's a little dangerous. I wouldn't go there. And it's also not good for Yeruchmias. Uh, it's pretty um, taken over by certain cousins who are gambling and doing all sorts of other things there. So unfortunately, Nebuch. I wouldn't uh, go there. I went, last, last, last time I was there, first time I was there, the only time I was there was probably uh, many, many decades ago. And uh, it's warm, but that's not a chisarim. That's just for finicky Americans. We'd like everything to be 69 degrees and sunny. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's not a beautiful place to live. So you've got to be careful when you talk about Eretz Yisrael. And nobody complained then. There's no remnants of a complaint about the climate. And despite the beautiful climate and the delicious fruits and all the other benefits it had in Gashmias, there were segments of the population of B'nai Kenya who picked themselves up and went, speaking of climates, into a dry area that everybody's made there. That's what Aksa was complaining about. A dry area in the Negev, which is even hotter, and no delicious fruits, and the yeshiva had plenty of Ruchnias, plenty of Torah, and zero Gashmias. Let me just go back, because I don't want to forget to mention it. Our discussion last week of giving up the Gashmias and the Ruchnias, I think we mentioned Rabbi Hanan and the yeshiva and the dire financial straits in which Baranovich and the Talmudim found themselves. And that was the lot, really, of most of the yeshivas then, certainly at the time... What we're talking about, Rabbi Hanan's trip was the late 30s. This was already years and years into the Great Depression. The Great Depression had affected America. It affected the rest of the world even more uh, harshly in terms of people who had no money to begin with. Now they have even less. There were many Americans, it wasn't good here, who had some money and now had very little. But there were wealthy Americans even during the Depression. I remember discussing this with my grandmother, who was alive and well, Baruch Hashem, and had a job during the Great Depression. Couldn't make this stuff up. I had the conversation with her, looking back, it was a little surreal. She said, yeah, she described me a job. She was the receptionist for, uh, okay, granted it was the uh, family business, which survived. They weren't wealthy, but they but they had what to eat. And she said, no, people had jobs, they worked. There was a lot of unemployment, and it was pretty bad. There were people waiting online to buy apples or sell apples, whatever those pictures, uh, whatever they were doing there. But this was in Chicago. 
David, that's uh, you were around. You don't remember the Great Depression, <laughs> but you were you were born there, no? You born there? You learned there? Something you have something to do with Chicago. Okay, good. So I'm not, I'm not dreaming. So this is in Chicago. Uh, she even remembers that people had enough money to still wear jewelry or buy jewelry. But she remembers once a bunch of guys coming in with Tommy guns and uh, having a holdup. I said, "Come on, that's like." You can only hear about that in folklore. She said, no, 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 that really happened in Chicago, especially Chicago. So he says, obviously somebody had money, obviously the people, Tommy Guns wanted their money. Um, maybe that was a sign of the time, but that, this was real. Uh, so she said, yeah, people, it was hard, but um, we weren't starving, and they weren't the wealthiest of them. It was still, they weren't immigrants, but they weren't there at that time, fifth generation American. And there were people who had had it very, very rough, but people in Europe were were starving. The yeshivas, even before the Great Depression, were not really in the black. So we mentioned that last week. We mentioned the mysterious nefesh. So I think it was on Monday morning, one of our listeners, who is uh, very on top of it and always listens and always calls with comments, said this one was really special. Uh, he's a grandson of Rav Nachman Nechamchik, who was a Rosh Hashiva in the Mir, who learned in Baranovich. This person's name is Rav Yenistam, and Rav Yenistam, that's, that's the name of the person who's listening to the Shir, who called in, and he wanted to share the following, which is fantastic. He said he, he spoke to his grandfather many times. He heard this from his grandfather, and his grandfather was in Baranovich at the time where Bachanan was making plans to leave to America to collect money. He had made many such plans, and each time he made the plans, he didn't go because the trip was difficult, and they didn't have an office with an executive director who would go to America for Baranovich or any other yeshiva for that matter. And the trip was expensive, very long, and if you left, they knew that they wouldn't see him for a year and a half, which is what happened. So it was Bo Maim Ad Nafesh, and he had no choice, and they had no bread. When they had enough money to cover the bills and pay the baker, Rav Nachman said, and we know this from other sources, their diet was some bread and maybe a little margarine, and that was about it. They didn't get much. That's when they paid the bills. It got to a point they didn't even have that, and the baker hadn't been paid in six months. And Abba Hanan got to a point. He said, I have to go. And he remembers, he said, he wasn't in, he was from the younger Talmud, he wasn't in the inner circle. He was in the next room, but he overheard, and I think he said he saw through a tiny window or a crack what was going on, the conversation that transpired in the room before Abba Hanan made his final decision. And the Talmidim were literally on the verge of tears, begging him not to go. And they said, Rebbe, he says, don't go. He says, you're going to be gone for a year. We're not going to hear shir. We can't learn from you. He said, we'll, we'll be mecha. We'll eat the crusty bread without the margarine. Or we'll eat every other day. It's a real conversation from real bacharim in this world in the 1930s. And he said that was the only time he saw, and they say over, he said he spoke about what happened the other Talmidim, Rabbi Khan was known never to smile, not because he was in a bad mood, he was the happiest person you'll ever want to meet. 
because he was Marbet's Torah and he was Yeshiv Yeshiva and he had incredible Talmidim, as you see from the story. He held up, he did, and it was time of the Gullus and he had the brunt of the Gullus and he saw it and he was focusing and he rarely smiled. And the one time they saw him almost smile was during this meeting when he saw the mysterious nefesh of the Talmidim. They were willing to give up on the bread that they weren't eating too much of in the first place and cut down on some of the margarine or skip a meal or two of the bread so the Rosh Hashiva shouldn't have to leave. Can you imagine? Say he, he saw that. He saw that conversation. So it's good to um, give over to our children and our Talmidim and to ourselves, not just Talmidim. It's always good to be able to sit here and tell the Tell the bracha, man, don't worry about it. The food's good enough. And the food is quite good today. And the variety is quite good. No one's going hungry, bracha Hashem. And we wouldn't handle it very well. And we just have to make sure that in the event that we didn't have the extra slice of pizza or they didn't serve fleshiks on Wednesday night like they normally do or the meat wasn't good enough, we don't start complaining. Just think of, just remember the story and... And when we uh, are coming late from work and now's a choice of should we have a regular dinner or go straight to night seder or go straight to learn and remember that story. I think the story will give you a lot of fuel and a lot of mileage. It's a pelotic amaisa, but to hear it from the person who heard it from the Talmud who was there is, uh, is amazing. So Rabbi Hanan smiled from Nachas, from the Talmudim who were willing to give up everything to be able to learn a little more. That's what's going on over here. As she says, they picked up, the Pusik says they picked up and they uh, left whatever represented Gashmi as an Yisrael then, a great climate, delicious fruit, and a Mokam Yishuv, and they packed out and went to a place which had nothing. And I don't know how much Yericha had, but compared to where they went, it had nothing. So that is the uh, credible Musar over here. The Yeshiv Esam, next Rashi. Hima Tamidim Yeshim Lofanov. As we saw from the Gemara last week, the main focus of Asnil ben Kanaz was his learning and his ability to be Marbet's Torah. And he begged the Kosh Baruch Hu to give him Talmidim Hagunim. Talmidim Hagunim means Talmidim who want to learn. They don't have to be the biggest Iluim. They have to be focused on their learning. They have to want to learn. They have to be able to give up something that's dear to them to learn. That's usually Gashmias in some form. And that's what happened over here. And that's why... Do you ever wonder why all the Tamidim and Baranovich and Mir and uh, Slabotka and all the, all the Tamidim we now learned there ended up becoming uh, Gedalim and very successful in their, in their Ruchnius and their learning? The answer is, because anybody survived in Yeshiva then? If you survived, you were destined to become, because you couldn't... If you were there, that means you were giving up a tremendous amount. And uh, for us on our Madrega, that means you've got to give up something on a daily basis, whatever it is that we can handle on our Madrega, but... They gave it up, and when Asnil ben Kanaz asked for Tamidim Hagunim, the Lushan here is very interesting. Hagunim means people who are focused on their Ruchnias and understand the importance of their Talmudah. Hasidim is a person who goes the extra mile, so his tefillah got him these Tamidim, and no doubt gave him Siat Shmaya that they should have the ability to come. When somebody else is davening for you, it helps you in your decisions. Right away. That's clear in the Pasuk, and what's amazing is, the Pasuk tells us that it ended when they came into Yisrael, because the transition was difficult and probably somewhat jarring. 
you have to, and I'm not taking away from anybody in the Midbar who learned Yom Avalayla for 40 years. But yeah, but it, it was an adjustment, yeah. Yes, and it wasn't easy, by the way. Uh, we have, I, I can give you a hypothetical scenario where you can have Ananiya covered around you and a protective environment, 69 degrees and sunny, slightly sunny, not too sunny, Ananiya protecting you, and you have Mon falling from Shemayim, and guess what? The scenario is not hypothetical. Scenario is, uh, make it very real for us, the year 2020, Limisparam, in Golis, that's why it's Lemisparam, and we're sitting here. It's 69 degrees in here and sunny, beautiful. We have mon falling min hashamayim. If we don't, our kids do. I don't say that in a negative way. It's a wonderful scenario. And there's certainly a matzav where many people have the ability, go learn as long as you want, nothing's stopping you. And guess what? Yetzirah doesn't give up, and now we solved all those problems. Still not so easy to learn 16 hours a day. Haraya, even when you have a day off, and it's not tax season. You really finish the taxes, or you were smart and you deferred them. So you have a day off, so now what? So, <laughs> so you have 12 hours. So for us here, it's Pasha. We assume everybody here leaving the room after Shachar is going to go learn. Another year, and then learn, and say and everything. But we all know that uh, even on a Sunday, which is a gift, Min HaShemayim, uh, it's not so easy. Um, sometimes the family has plans and it's not their fault. And so there, there are, the man was wonderful and it was created with the anonym and they had a perfect environment and it worked for 40 years. But this is uh, now Eretz Yisrael and they have to work the land. Here tomorrow, I mean, you didn't really have to work that much. They had trees and sort of grew. I mean, you had to do something. But that's the challenge. Everybody has their challenge and uh, Yetzirah is not going to give up and run out of excuses. So next time you're confronted with the Yitzhahara and all the distractions, think of Baranovich. If that doesn't work, think of Arad and Asniel ben Kanaz, and you'll be good to go. That's why this is written in the Navi. Let's go to the next Pasuk, and we'll get to the Yushalayim and Harabayas trade-off. Ve'elech Yehuda, Eshem and Achav, Yaakov, Kanani, Yeshev, Tzvas, V'yachrima, Osa, V'yikra, Eshem, E'er, Charma. This is not the Tzvas that uh, we know. Yoked Yehuda as Aza as Gvula. So, as I mentioned, and we're going to get to this because we didn't fully explore, but I told you the Gaza Strip in the beginning of Shaftim keeps coming back like a bad penny, and that's uh, indicative of what's coming. Uh, they conquered it, and most Peskim hold it's part of Eretz Israel proper. The jury's still out on that a little bit. The Arayas Lakan Lakan. But for simplicity, right now, there are many rayas that it goes to Shining Sea. This Shining Sea is the Mediterranean, not the Pacific. And it's part of Eitz Yisrael Midaraisa, which is very mistaber. Hashem would give us land where we don't have the coast. Nechatesi, on part of the coast. But we do have part of it. The question is how much? How far does it go down? There are, there's such a mavucha in the Achranim about this. As the Rambam, the Shaila had to read the Rambam, there are Rishayim who weigh in on this, and it's not Pashat. Not Pashat Midaraisa, and certainly not Pashat Midarabon, and I say Midarabon because Eli Bavol had to be Makadish again. They certainly didn't settle all over the place, but part of it was here we have one of the obvious rites, Yilkut Yehuda as Aza. So there were five cities of the Plishtim, and Yehuda conquered some of it. What happened, according to everybody, is they conquered it. 
and there was pushback, and it was reconquered by the Plishtim. That's clearly the case, because we find Shaul's fighting the Plishtim, and David's fighting the Plishtim, and they're talking about the same five cities. So we got it now. We didn't hold it that long, and we got it again later. So some of it has to be Eretzisome the Reis, or else they wouldn't be conquering it. But with the other bubble, the question is, did they have it when they came back, and did they get it when they get back? But I'm just pointing out, Azah here is the city of the area of what we call now Azah. Yoke Yudas Azah as Gula, as Ashkelon as Gula, these are all cities of Plishtim, as Ekron as Gula, V'yashem as Yudah V'yerish as Hahar, Ki Laherish, Laherish is Yeshve Emek, Ki Recha Barzolahem. This is a very interesting Pasuk. They were fighting and fighting, got various cities. Yehuda is the strongest Shevet. They get the Har, which in ancient warfare is the high, high road, the high area, the mountain. That's the more difficult place to conquer. So they made their way up the mountain and conquered it anyway. That's a difficult position to conquer even in modern warfare. When they had to fight in the Yom Kippur War, if you uh, look at the battles they're fighting in the north, when they finally, with all Siat got themselves together to start pushing back. First days of the war, it didn't look good for any survival of anything about Mullah Islam. They're pushing back. They try to get the areas in the Golam, they're trying to reconquer. They, it was an uphill battle, as the expression, uphill battle. And they were talking about with modern technology. But they're still over there, and they're still over here, and they had to lice again. It was hand-to-hand combat. So that's very difficult. And the Pasuk says Yehuda got it. So you would think, okay, once they got that, so the next step on the other side is always every mountain has a valley. So to get the Amek is a shuin. And the Pasuk says, the Farshim point out this problem, he says, well, they didn't get the Amek because uh, the people in the Amek were defending it and they had tanks. Recha Barzolahem, the tanks of ancient history. Iron was hard to find and whoever had a lot of tanks, that could be daunting. But the Mepharshim say it shouldn't have been because they were strong enough to take over the mountain. They should have been strong enough to take over the Amek. On paper, what you would read in the paper would be they won the battle of the mountain, but they couldn't push them out of the Amek because it was being defended by Recha Barzol. The Mepharshim say that they didn't get it because they didn't have this chus to get it. Why that should be so, Mitzvah will get back to Mlinader, but it's a little bit odd. This contrast over here gives us the, the facts on paper, but doesn't explain why, if it was promised to them, and Yehudah's having Seat Shmaya, why that happened. As we described, so this is speaking of coming back like a bad penny. Yevusi Yeshev Yushalayim. Laherishu Bene Binyamin. So first of all, we switched from Yehuda to Binyamin. It's the first clue. Yushalayim and Harabayas itself is shared by Yehuda Binyamin. You drive now, you go past there and you go toward the desert, and then you take the highway up north, that's all Binyamin's area in the back. And the front is more Yehuda. And here, this area of Yevusi, the one section of Shalayim, Bnei Benyamin did not conquer. And Yevusi stayed there and stayed there and stayed there. And we find that they're still there. And David Amalek is 
tasked with the job of conquering Yerushalayim and buying Harabayas from them, which he will do. So the fallback position over here of just trying to get any push-up shot is that they were still descendants of Abimelech and they had the right to be there because Abimelech promised and they must have been very old, some grandson, very old, but they couldn't get him out because luckily they couldn't get him out. The bigger issue, which we're going to deal with, I thought today, but maybe next week, is the issue who really owned Yerushalayim and who owned Harabayas. Because Rashi just told us a few minutes ago that the Bereikeni were in Yericho because they were holding it because they want to trade it in for whoever is going to get the Makam HaMikdash to be able to give them a swap, a land swap, because we're going to take away Harabayas and give it to Klai Yisrael. But Rashi didn't say who that was because at this point they don't know who that was or who that will be. Would be grammatically more correct. Why not? The answer is they had no idea where the Beit Hamikdash would be. Even though maybe they don't know the Beit Hamikdash would be, they don't know all the Medrashim, other missions created from Harabayas and the Akedah Sitzchak. They don't know that. We know all that. In hindsight, and Chazal telling us all that, that's where it was. They did not know exactly where it was. Haraya, Davin Melach. And Shmulanov, you could be sitting many years later with maps to try to figure out where it is. And first they arrive at the conclusion, which is incorrect, of Einitam. And then as they were going through the Pilpul, they said, no, it's not there. It's got to be somewhere else because that's too high. It's got to be by the neck of the shore, by the shoulders of the shore. It was unclear where it will be. The Chaznish you have in front of you, which we're not going to get to now, so give it back in an orderly fashion, is the discussion of the Chaznish and the Gemara Yuma will be a fascinating discussion on both fronts, is Yushalayim owned by anybody? Was it owned by anybody before they traded it in? And who owned Harabayas before? And who owns it now? The reason that's very important is if you have a Dira in Yushalayim, in the old city or even maybe parts of the new city close by, will you retain ownership? Lots of love them. So you'll say, well, it's got to be that I have some ownership is I'm probably from Yehuda, which you probably are if you own one. Most of us are probably from Yehuda. Some of us are from Benjamin. Uh, Vlovim over here are from none of the above. So they're not getting any deers. We'll give you a place to live. Don't worry about it. A nice place, but uh, no land. And between Yehuda, which is the largest shevet, and Benjamin, we're probably in the running. Is that and a token get anybody in the train? Because it was split up later. The question is, did they retain any ownership? This is going to be a very important shaila, lasalava. And people have asked me the shaila before they bought. So I told them, look, it's always a good investment, great place to be able to visit, and if you go live there and use it now, it's certainly a mila. Uh, they want to say, yeah, they just want to know, are they going to have to give it up? I said, even if they have to give it up, are they going to pay fair market value? So one guy told me, yeah, but he doesn't want to get involved with any negotiations that Leo and Novi. I said, I don't want to either. Uh, <laughs> that's what this one's worried about. I said, it's good you're thinking of this. I said, it's a big sugi and Novi. We're going to get to it and show it to him. It's a fascinating, Chaznish has a fascinating insight into it. Yes? Yeah, no, I don't that means uh, when Shmuel Hanavi, who wrote this, is writing it, it was still Adi Yemazeh, but Shmuel Hanavi was just beginning to figure out who owns this area, and until Shlomo built it, it's still owned. Yes, Adi Yemazeh means... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go, yeah. Let's go to the Peleites. Yeah, it doesn't mean, yeah, it doesn't mean now, as we're sitting here in Muncie. Um, it means when he wrote it, and when he wrote it, it still wasn't divided up. Let's go to the Peleites, because yesterday we didn't... Get there, and we are on page Kuf Nun Vav, which not coincidentally means canoe, which talks about buying 
Mekaymes in Yushalayim. Um, that's just the drush on the page number, depending on your printing. Uh, what? Your next page is Kanaz, that's correct. Yeah, you couldn't make that up either. Uh, so, who says the whole share is not Pikabola? So, take a look at Kufnon Vav. We are talking about his Iris. Third paragraph in, we're talking about how to always work on the Yisairis for yourself, for your own Avodah Hashem, and for your Talmidim and your family. Gam Taiv Legever Shiyasehis Eiris Chitzan Laharas Ava Vayira Vesimcha Rabba Kadema Davra Bitai Kashet which means you have to focus on the Simcha Shomitzvah, you have to focus, if it helps you, on the Inyanim that we can understand and touch the Inyanim we can't really understand a little bit. Always understand that you don't understand fully and you don't have to understand. It's exactly because we spoke a lot about that in the last few weeks and part of the Avedis Hashem is understanding Avdus, that you have to do it whether you understand or not. But a chilek of the Talmud and the excitement is to understand some of the backdrop and yes, part of Matzah is understanding the backdrop of the Gula and the Akharis of Taifi and Sinsa Tzrayim even though that doesn't necessarily define the mitzvah. So however you get that Hesayri Eschitzim Laras Ava V'yir V'simcha Rabba Kadaima Dover Bita Kashet Sarach Kach Yenikr B'hakaras Panav V'snuaz Gufa called the Lekha L'mechash L'lag Hamaligim L'mechsa Kayura And you have to have it on your face and in your actions Don't do things that are going to bring ridicule Say that carefully because there are people always worried you don't want to look too firm or too excited because they might think you're a firmak. That's not what he's talking about. You should look excited and be excited and let somebody say that you look too excited, then he should get with the program. Um, he's talking about somebody who's doing something that nobody does. We shuckle when we daven. Why do we shuckle when we daven? So, Koat's Mosai Tamarna. should. That there are psukim for it, but you shuckle because the more you get your body, the physical, into it, the more you'll be able to have kavana. So, somebody told me as a Maisa when he was uh, by the Kaisa once, there was one of those tours that uh, were coming by, and um, total akum, and the tour guide was uh, an akum and uh, didn't really know too much about what he was saying either. Um, do you ever hear these guys? They walk by, you always hear them. Some of them are completely off, some of them a little off. It's just, uh, sometimes it's entertaining, sometimes you know, a little laugh or cry that we have to have the Mechemist Kedeshim. It's a Japanese. Uh, yeah, right, right. So, yeah, so, uh, so sometimes it's Japanese, but this, uh, some, somebody told me this years ago. And um, they came, and this was in English apparently. This guy told me he doesn't know Japanese. And the people were looking, and it was, you go to the Kaisa, what do you see? You see people davening. And he's looking, they're standing there, it's Mincha, and there are 100 people shuckling what they look, chuckling wildly. Toss it with me wild. That's our regular Mincha to Kaisa, hopefully, with his Eris, as we're discussing. And somebody asked the tour guide, why are they uh, swaying back and forth? Why are they moving? So he pauses for a moment. Obviously, nobody ever asked him that question. And he uh, thinks about it, and he says, well, uh, you try standing still for 10 minutes. That's not the answer. That's as a matter of fact, there are sheetas that hold, and there are people that like this, Sadiq and Mamashi is like this, that you should remain very, very still like this and um, focus. And which one's right? The answer is whichever one works for you. The, minig, the more common meaning is people shuckle, and the guy's not so wrong. He's, you try standing like this for 10 minutes. So, whatever works, basically. <laughs> but you have to get into it, and you have to be davening. This is not the base ilum. 
And just like when we learn, we invite and encourage people to hear, examine, ask. It's not the base medrash, it's not supposed to be a base idlam, it's supposed to be a makam of excitement. And when you daven, it's supposed to be a makam of excitement. And that hysteria should be coming from within, and it should be spilling over to give other people the hysteria. And that's what he says. Whatever you're doing, not just davening. Davening, learning, you ever notice people shuckle and they get very excited when they learn also. The most incredible experience when somebody walks in from the outside, either somebody who's not yet from and sees it for the first time, or an Akam who has occasion to be inside and will ask and notice the same thing, and ask, because it's, it's very unusual for them. You walk into a study hall, you tell them, where are we going? We're going to a study hall. It's that picture of a library. Library is supposed to be very quiet. You make noise, the librarian will remind you we're in a library. So you're here to study. Be quiet and remain quiet. And you walk into a base medjish for the first time. Before you walk in, 30 feet from the base medjish, you hear a kol rash gadol. It's already you're wondering, what is that? Says, Just follow me, you'll see. You walk into those medjish, and there are scores and hundreds of people sitting there screaming and yelling at each other. We hope when they walk in for the first time, they don't see somebody throwing a shtender at somebody else, which is also part of the excitement. Just be careful when you do that. But you have to retain your, your midas. But the guard says that you should have a mochama while you're doing it, but have shalom afterwards, that it's nothing personal. But if you're missing all that, and there's no excitement, and it's a library, you're in the wrong place. And that's the first, you speak to people, the first time they experience that. It's incredible. This is really alive. It's supposed to be alive. It's not a base island, and it's not a library. And that's the hysteria that has to be able to spill over that excitement. Okay, we will continue. Mitzvah Shem.